Everyone has a story. With moments of longing, confusion, pain, and sadness. But we have been invited. We have been invited to be a part of a greater story. To be a part of a greater story. A greater story. One of hope. One of hope. Love. Peace. And healing. This is God's story. God's story. Our story. Our story. Your story. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. As a people, they had been here 40 years earlier. 40 years earlier, their parents had stood on this same bank and looked across the Jordan River into a land that God had promised to their forefathers. And at that time, their parents thought, we don't know what lies on the other side and we're not sure if we can really go. So they sent 12 spies into the land. And the spies go in and they're looking all through the land and, and they come back and they tell this report. They say, it truly is immeasurably more. I mean, we've been in a desert and this is a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a land and they brought back fruit and it was huge and it was massive. And, and they said, look at this, all that God's provided. But then 10 of the spies said, but there's no way we could take it. There are giants in this land and they are bigger than us. They're bigger than anything we can face. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb said, oh, but our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Let's go. Let's go. Let's step into all that God wants to do. Let's go. And they stood on this shore. And they had to make a decision. Were they going to live by fear or were they going to live by faith? And 40 years earlier, their parents turned and walked away. And for 40 years, they had traveled around the desert while God grew their faith. God provided for them, took care of them, fed them in the middle of a desert with manna and quail. And God fed them with water and took care of their needs. But now they're back. A whole unbelieving generation has died off. And as a people, they stand back on the shore of the Jordan River, looking into the land God had promised them. And this time, what are they going to do? This time, what decision will they make? For this was their turn. This was their opportunity to go forward in the immeasurably more life that God had for them. You can picture it, right? It's an early morning. The people are gathered there on the bank. There's a fog that comes across the river. The trumpet blows. The Ark of the Covenant begins to move. Their hearts are beating fast. What are they going to do? Will they trust? Will they follow? Maybe that represents your story. Maybe you grew up going to church, and, but then kind of you got away from it, right? Maybe it was high school or college, or maybe as a young adult, and, and life got busy and crazy, but, but now you're back. And you're standing on the brink of what God wants to do in your life. Or maybe you're like Joshua and Caleb and you've just stayed faithful. You grew up going to church, you knew the Lord at a young age, and you've just followed all these years and all this time. And, and now you stand there with others and you're like, come on, let's go. I don't know where you are today, but I know this. God is inviting you on an incredible journey. And God is opening your eyes to something that he and he alone wants to do. And God's saying, let's go. I want to do immeasurably more in your life.
Trust me. Well, welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called Immeasurably More, and it's based off this verse in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or can imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And as we started this series last week, we said that the first step in living the immeasurably more life is just to open our eyes. Open our eyes that God is inviting us. Open our eyes to all that God's doing and learn to be thankful for what God's already done in our lives, but have confidence then that God wants to do more. And today we're going to see that he's inviting us to join in that journey. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Now if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We have free Bibles in the back. Just take one. They're yours because... We know, as God's Word says, that the Word of the Lord will not return void. So if you're reading God's Word, as you're studying God's Word, God's going to speak to you and challenge you through the Word of God. Uh, or maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the Scriptures online, go to Version uh, there, and just follow along with us. But pick up here, Joshua chapter 3. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And then you come into Joshua. And so here's what happens here. Joshua chapter 3. Look at verse 1. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. And they went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Now hold on, i got to stop right there real quick. See, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God on this earth. The Ark of the Covenant God gave them because they were traveling around the desert, right? They were nomads. And so God says, I will dwell with you. But I'm going to be in this Ark, right? And they would carry it on poles. The priests would have these long poles and they would carry the Ark. And the Ark would go with the people. Now when they come in eventually into the Promised Land, they would build the temple. And that's where God resided. People would come from all over to worship at the temple. That's where you would go to meet God. But then what happened when Christ died? When Christ died for us, right, it says the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And what Christ was doing is making a way for God to be with us all the time. When you become a Christ follower, God places his Holy Spirit within you. You become the temple. God dwells in you. Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. So now you're with God all the time. But back then, it was wherever the ark is. So here's the ark. And Joshua says, when you see the ark, right, of the Lord your God and the priest who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. All right, so here you are if you're taking notes. Number one is this, follow God. Follow God. You hear what Joshua said? He said, hey guys, you're going to see the Ark of the Covenant. And you are to follow it. And I love what he says in verse 4. Did you get that? He says, follow it because you've never been this way before. You don't know what lies ahead, right? You don't know what's going to happen over there. What a great word for us. We don't know what the future holds. We have no idea. But here's the awesome part. God does. And God's already there. And God's just waiting for us. God's saying, hey, come on. You know what? You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be afraid. Listen, I'm already here. 
You just follow me. In the book, Immeasurably More, I talk about this, that there's a difference between obedience and outcome. So often we're focused on the outcome, right? We're like, well, God, if, if, if I follow you, can you kind of tell me what's going to happen? Because I want to evaluate what you say is going to happen with what I really want to happen. And then I'm going to like make a decision, you know, kind of like, okay, you, you know, I'm going to weigh those and kind of see which one I like. And God's going, listen, it's not about the outcome. It's about obedience. Right? It's not about the outcome. You don't worry. About now, the cool part about that is this. When you're following God, you can't fail. Right? You don't have to worry about failure, like, oh, I'm going to mess up. You know, if I invite somebody to church, I'm going to say the wrong thing. Or somebody asks me a spiritual question, I'm going to say something. I'm going to turn them off from God forever. Yeah. No, you don't have to worry about that. Because the outcome is not about you, right? You're just called to be obedient. And when God prompts your heart, you just go, okay, I'm following God. Here we go. All right, God, I don't know how it's all going to play out. And God goes, that's fine. You know me. I've always taken care of you before. I'm going to take care of you now. Right? You just follow me. And so as a Christ follower, as a believer, our call is simply to follow. How awesome is that? All we do is just stay step in step with God. Now here's the trick, right? Here's the trick. It's a lot of times we want to run ahead of God. We, we, we don't want to run ahead of God. We're like, okay, God, I prayed about this, and I want you to answer it. And, and God, you haven't answered it. I prayed yesterday about it, and you still haven't answered it. So I'm going to just do whatever I want to do because, you know, I prayed about that. And God's going, hello. You know, wait, my timing's not your timing. You focus on me and just hold on. I'm going to unfold it. Trust me. You stay step in step with me. Sometimes, though, we can also lag behind, right? We can wait back there and God's going, come on, come on. We're like, oh, I don't know, you know. And so Joshua says, hey, guys, you follow the Lord. You walk step in step with him. That's what it's called obedience. And that's the call for each of us. Here's the second thing consecrate yourselves. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. <laughs> I love that. So Joshua is telling the people, hey guys, get ready. Tomorrow we're going into that land. You know that land that your parents, they were afraid to, and they walked around that? No, no, no. Tomorrow we're going. So you get ready. Consecrate if you go and study the word. It literally means to prepare yourself spiritually. Prepare yourself spiritually. God's going to do something great in you, but you need to be ready spiritually. Now, if you look and you study this and you go back in the Old Testament, when they talked about consecration, they talked about consecrating yourselves. It would be a time of prayer that you focus on the Lord. It would be a time of fasting. We don't like that fasting thing, you know, because it's like you abstain from food for, a, you know, a 24 hours or whatever, or a couple of days or, or a week. You're going to abstain from food or today, maybe social media, and say, hey, I want to really, every time I have a desire for that, I'm going to focus, I'm going to pray, I'm going to prepare my mind, prepare my heart. Back then, it was abstaining from sexual relations. It was like there's going to be a time designated just to focus on the Lord. And so what Joshua was saying to the people is God's getting ready to do something great. God wants to do something great in us. God wants to do something great in you. But you be spiritually ready for that. You see, with consecration is the call to holiness. To holiness. Holiness, right, means to be set apart. God says, be holy because I'm holy. And as a believer, our lives should look different. We shouldn't just go along with the way of the world. Our lives should look different, that we are called to be holy. And that means spiritually prepared for what God wants to do in us. 
Along with holiness comes this importance of confession. Confession. See, none of us are perfect, right? But I think what catches us a lot of times is this. It's unrepentant sin. And even when God is calling us and God's saying, I want to do some great things in you. I want to do some great things through you. And yet we have this sin in our lives and we're like, ah, God, um, I can't really do that because, you know, this sin's got me. And I don't know what it is for you. I really don't. But I want to tell you, if there's unconfessed sin in your life today, it's going to hold you back from ever accomplishing all the things that God wants you to. And at some point, you've got to be honest and just say, listen, I'm tired of hiding this. I mean, God knows, doesn't he? And be honest and say, God, here it is. It's got a hold of me. And maybe for you, I don't know what it is. Listen, maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's an emotional affair. Maybe, maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's alcohol. I, I don't know. I mean, everybody's got something they're dealing with. But if it's got a hold on you and it's keeping you from knowing the Lord or growing in the Lord, it's going to hold you back. And so often we don't want to confess it because we think, well, God's going to get mad at me. God, God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, listen. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful and just. Hear that about God. And he will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. And so often we're like, I don't know, I can't really confess that. God's going, listen, right here, I already know what's going on. I want you to tell me, and I want you to confess that, and I want you to move from that, and I want you to follow me. Consecrate yourselves. Because that sin will eat you alive. And it will keep you from ever achieving your full potential in Christ. Jesus took it a step further and he says in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you come to worship and you're bringing your gift and there, there you remember that somebody has something against you, he says, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to them. And so part of this whole consecration is, is that we are in right relationship with God, being reconciled to God through Christ. What Christ has done for us, it's grace that we've been saved, not by works, lest no man should boast, but also being reconciled to others. And that if there's somebody in your life, and it may be your spouse, it may be a friend, it may be a coworker. If there's somebody in your life who has something against you, you go and be reconciled to them. Now I realize it says in Romans, it says as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So there may be some times when you go, man, I've done everything I can. Okay, well, God will honor that. But in your life and my life, this process of consecrating ourselves to the Lord means doing a spiritual inventory and just saying, God, I want to come. I want to receive to you, and I want to lay it all out there. I want to be honest, no more hiding. God, you're calling me to confess, you're calling me to repent, and I'm coming before you. And did you notice that? He says, consecrate yourselves. Why? Why? Because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He's going, guys, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to settle for this worldly life. I don't want you just to settle for a little bit of God. I want you to step into all that God has for you. It's amazing. It's immeasurably more. Consecrate yourself. Be spiritually ready. Be spiritually in tune. Trust that God's got a big plan and follow him and make him the priority. Make him the focus. Number three, if you're taking notes, lead others. Look at this. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, 
Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now this guy Joshua, he was kind of the second in command under Moses. And, and he watched Moses, right? He was Moses' assistant, and he watched Moses do great things. I bet he was just like, wow, Moses, this is, you're awesome, right? He saw Moses go down to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, God says let my people go. And he saw Moses, you know, you know throw the rod down, and the, the river becomes blood. I mean, he saw all this. He saw Moses leading the people. He saw Moses, the Shekinah glory of God, his face radiated because he spent so much time with God. And Joshua was like, yeah, Moses. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, as you move into Joshua, Moses dies. And I bet Joshua is scared to death. I mean, let's be honest. I bet Joshua is standing there looking at a million people and going, what am I going to do? I remember when we first brought my oldest daughter, Grace, home from the hospital. And, and here I am, you know, I'm driving in the slow lane on the interstate, and I'm looking in the mirror, right, and I'm seeing that there's car seats in the back, and I'm thinking, I'm a dad. Do I have an idea what I'm supposed to do here, you know? <laughs> do I really understand this? Do, how am I going to do this? I mean, I was like, I mean, my dad was a good dad, but I, am I ready for this? And I think Joshua was doing the same thing. Am I ready for this? God, are you sure? Moses is dead, and now you've called me to lead. And I think God just speaks to him and says, hey, listen, Joshua, I'm with you just like I was with Moses. I'm with you just like I was with, with him. See, for all of us, man, we can look at our lives and go, man, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And God's going... I have put you in this place for this reason and for this time and for this purpose. You're ready. And don't just rely on your own strength. Don't just rely on your own power. Listen, I will work through you. I've called you to be a husband. I've called you to be a father. I've called you to be a wife. I've called you to be a mother. I've called you to lead a community group. I've called you to lead children on Sunday. I've called you to be a boss at work and have employees look up to you. I know you're scared. I know you're worried about that. But listen, this is your time. See, the fact is we're all leading people. And the question becomes then, where are we leading them? Where are you leading your family? Where are you leading the class you teach? Where are you leading the employees at work? What are you saying to them is important? What are you communicating that you value? Where are you pointing them? And God says, Joshua. And God says to you, this is your time. This is your call. Lead well. So Joshua stands up and he proclaims to all the people. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the word of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pezzarites, the Gershites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, 
Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. You can imagine Joshua standing up and saying, guys, here's how it's going to go down, right? The priests are going to step in the water, and then it will stop flowing. Okay, God, you better come through, you know, because I just made this proclamation to a million people. Here we go. This is what's going to happen. But Joshua, his own faith was growing, his own trust, his own obedience to God. This is what God's going to do. And here's number four. You've got to step in. You've got to step in. Look what it says in verse 14. So the, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. So can you imagine these priests? All the people are there. They're all praying. They're all ready. And here they come. And they have the ark on their shoulders. They're carried on these big poles. And they come up to the water. And they're like, all right, God, make it stop. You know, here we go. But it says, when their feet touched the water's edge, it says that they had to step in. See, a lot of times we want the water to stop flowing, right? We want everything to be taken care of. And then we're like, okay, yeah. And God's going, no, you got to step in. Now, for these priests, this was a big deal because the Ark of the Covenant, right, it represented the very presence of God. And if you go back and read, when people, you know, would drop the Ark, when people would touch the Ark, they would die, okay? And now the Jordan's running, it's flood stage, so here we go, and they're holding the Ark, and they're coming up to the water, and they're like, anytime now, God, you know, and God's going, my timing's perfect, you step in, you step in, you step in. And as soon as their feet touched the water's edge, Stop flowing. Wow. See, I think that's a huge lesson for us. You know why? Because it's called faith. <laughs> if God just stopped it before we ever got there, we wouldn't have to have any faith. But God's going, no, you step in and then it'll stop. It's called faith. And the journey God invites us on is a journey of faith, right? It's a journey of trust. Man, I love, I love, I love, I love hearing stories of people taking their next step. I love hearing stories of people trusting God and pushing past the fear and saying, I'm going to follow you, God. Many times I sit at my computer and I just read these stories. I was like tears coming down my face. I'm like, God, thank you. Because it's life change that's happening. I was talking to a guy last week and, and he was telling me, him and his wife, you know, they've always talked about being in a community group and, and they just hadn't done it. And he said, every time we talk about it, we're like, oh, I don't know, you know, we're going to go to some person's house we don't know. And he goes, honestly, we were just scared. He goes, we, we got kids, and we're thinking, how are we going to do this? And, and he said, then we kept talking about community groups, and it kept coming up at church, and we knew God was saying, do it. We knew it was the next step for us. We knew it was going to be important for our family. But he said, we just kept saying no. And then this thing came on Sunday night, and a couple of weeks ago, we started to go, and then we made up excuses about why we couldn't go, and we ended up not going. And then the next day, we get an email from somebody inviting us to their community group. He said, I looked at my wife and said, this is God. At some point, we've got to trust. At some point, we've got to step in. So last Monday, he said, here it is, the day that we're supposed to go community group on Monday night. As I woke up and, you know, got the kids ready, they went off to school, and he said, I'm going out to the garage to get into my car, and on my garage is the biggest 
grasshopper I've ever seen in my life. And he's like, I'm looking at this thinking, that's weird. I haven't seen a grasshopper in like six months. I mean, well, where did this thing come from? He goes, but I, you know, I shoot it away and I got my car, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I get to the office and I'm thinking, grasshopper. And so I Google it. I like Google grasshopper, you know? And what comes up, it says this, a grasshopper represents a leap of faith. I'm like, whoa. You know, it's like, I'm sitting there looking like, you know, a leap of faith. Wow, we're supposed to go to community group tonight. You know? So he said, I didn't know. I didn't know what to think about that. But the whole day goes on, and it's getting closer. And all I'm thinking about at work is we're going to some weird people's house, you know, tonight. I don't even know them. And I'm like, I'm going to go in. And he goes, so I leave the office. I go out to my car. And as I get to my car, you wouldn't believe what's sitting on the windshield. The largest grasshopper that I'd seen since that morning. He goes, I just got my car and went, okay, God. Here we go. Here we go. And he goes, we went to our group, and it was awesome. He goes, it was great. He goes, I know that was the Lord. And, and I just went, yes, I know. I mean, God does those things. You look at the Bible, it's like people pray for signs, and God says, okay, watch this. But God's always calling us to go forward. It, it works, I'm telling you. But it's the same thing in missions. People will come up to me, and they say, I feel like God's stirring me to go on a mission trip, and I just don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I don't have the money, so I keep saying no. I keep saying no. I keep saying no. And I'm like, what? What are you waiting for? And they're like, well, I'm waiting for this windfall of money to come in, you know? And I'm like, oh, you're waiting for God to stop the river, right? No, 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 no. You step in, and then God will provide. And it works every time. And then people go, okay, well, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. I don't know what's going to happen, but here we go. And they step in, and all of a sudden, people start to hear. And people, they come up, and they go, hey, you wouldn't believe this, but, but I had this aunt or uncle that heard that I was going to go on this mission trip, and they just sent me a $1,000 check. It was like, crazy. And then these people at work, they heard about this and they started talking about, you know, these orphans in Moldova or what was happening in South Africa or the Amazon. They said, hey, we want to be a part. They took up this collection and, and you wouldn't believe what they did. And, and I'm like, yeah, I know, it's God. I mean, it is. I'm just telling you, it, it is, you know, and you're sitting there waiting for the outcome and God's saying, no, it's the obedience. <laughs> we got an email last week from a lady in our church and she said, you know, for years we heard about this whole tithing thing, giving our first 10% to God. And I kept saying, no, God, and we do a budget, and we're looking at it, and we're like, there's no way. The numbers don't work. She said, but then me and my husband started praying and said, okay, we're going to trust. And we started tithing. We started giving our first 10%. It was the first check we'd write each month, and we were giving it. And she goes, let me just tell you what's happened since. And she started outlining all this stuff, and I'm just reading this, and I'm just thinking, only God. Only God, I'm in tears. I'm just like, it's only God. I mean, it's the way it works. It's faith. It's obedience. And God gets the glory for it. And God's saying, trust me. I want you to hear this morning from a, a couple of guys in our church who, when we first started, man, I mean, they took the step of faith. And I want you to hear what God has done in their lives and through their lives for his glory. My name is Ken Thomas, and my wife Norma and I have three children, Nathan, Anna, and Blake. And uh, I'll never forget uh, hearing about the vision of Roland Hills Community Church. It was in about the late summer of 2002, and I remember sitting down with Jeff and hearing his vision for wanting to start a church. And as I heard him talk about what God had laid on his heart, it was really clear to Norma and I that this was the type of church that we wanted to be a part of. And so it was probably October of 2002, and I remember just like it was yesterday, Jeff looked at me and he said, KT, 
He said, I, I think we need to do something big for our community. I looked at Jeff and I said, hey, Jeff, let's do a big three-on-three -three basketball tournament. Let's make it the biggest tournament in town. And Jeff, as a good leader that he is, said, KT, I think that's a really good idea. Why don't you head it up? And so that's exactly what we did. I remember we pulled together a, a task force, and I remember us meeting and began planning what would be the Cool Springs 3-on-3 three -three basketball tournament in 2003. It was a lot of fun. I remember how hard we worked. It was about a five-month process from beginning to end of starting planning to actual making the event happen. And I remember on Tuesday, before the event was to happen on Saturday, I called Jeff and I said, Jeff, we only have one team signed up, and I just think we need to cancel the event. And those of you that know Jeff well know that that was not even on his radar. In fact, Jeff and I met. He looked at me and he said, hey, we've done too much to cancel now. God's going to provide. Let's make this thing happen. Let's don't quit now. And so we committed to make the last four days of marketing the very best that it could be. And as you probably have heard, uh, we had a great turnout on the very first event in 2003. We had about 36 teams show up, over 1,000 people out on the parking lot watching, volunteering. And it was unbelievable to see what God did through a small church called Roland Hills Community Church on the movie theater parking lot behind Bill Fender's Chick-fil-A. It was an unbelievable day. We certainly saw God do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine that day. My name is Gabe Norris. In December of 2003, my wife, Allison, and I moved to Nashville. The first three-on-three -three basketball tournament that I saw was the spring of 2004. I had never been a part of a church plan in my entire life. This was my first time of seeing what it really looked like to be a church that didn't just invite people to a building all the time, but instead a church that got outside of its walls and really did want to connect with people that weren't thinking about God and had no orientation towards Jesus and would do something in a parking lot uh, more easily than they might in a sanctuary or in a Sunday school room. And there on that parking lot at the Cool Springs Movie Theater, I saw a church connect with real life people in the community and I knew this is something that I could give my entire life to. It became obvious after that very first Cool Springs 3 on 3 basketball tournament in the spring of 2003 that we had witnessed God do immeasurably more than we could ever dream or imagine. And we knew that this is something that God has laid on our heart and we're supposed to do something about it. God wants us to take action on this. And so, in the fall of 2006, we left our jobs and resigned to start a new company, a company that would end up becoming Connect Ministries. When we started this company, we actually thought that it was a three-on-three -three basketball tournament. And then we soon realized it's not as much about being with three-on-three -three basketball players in a parking lot as it is about churches moving towards the community and getting in front of them in a way that connects with them and intersects with their life and eventually assimilates the community back into the life of the church. And so over a short amount of time, we began dreaming about other effective ways that we could help churches connect with community. So here we are 10 years later, Connect Ministries 
is going strong. And it is no doubt that we have seen God do immeasurably more than we could ever believe or even dream. This year, we were able to see camp happen in over 95 cities. We had over 27,000 campers attend Windshape Camps for Communities. 1,300 campers professed Christ as their Lord with over 4,000 others asking the church, the local church in 95 cities to follow up with them and to explain more about the person of Christ. This year, Connect Race will happen in over 40 places and we'll see over 20,000 runners participate, working with several hundred churches to follow up with those people who are running in one of our races. It's absolutely mind-boggling to think about all that God has done. There's no doubt about it. As we go out to different communities in over 20 different states now, that there's a piece of Roland Hills Community Church that goes right with us. Guys, isn't that incredible? I mean, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, they partnered with Chick-fil-A and 1,300 kids this past summer gave their lives to Christ. I mean, 20,000 people, 29,000 kids at camp. I mean, it's just unreal what God has done. From some guys who quit their jobs in 2006 and scared to death and yet said, okay, God, this is what you're calling us to. We're going to step in. We're going to step in. And for all of us, there comes a time in our spiritual life where we have to take that step of faith. And we have to decide what's important to us. Are we going to hold on to the world? Are we going to hold on to, you know, the things that the world calls us to? Or are we going to say, God, here I am. All of me. I don't know the outcome. I don't have a clue how it's going to go down. But God, I know you. And I know this is what you're calling me to. And so, God, I'm going to follow. Step by step, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. You know what I love about this? If you're taking notes, the last one, just stay faithful. Look at verse 17. It says, The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. You know what I love? I, lo I love these priests, man, who are scared to death to take that first step. And they're holding on the Ark and they're thinking, We're going down and maybe we're going to hit the Ark and we're going to die. But they also said, no, God is greater, and we're going to trust. And when they stepped in and the water stopped flowing, and they walked out to the middle, and they stood there, right? And they just stayed faithful. They stayed faithful. And the whole nation passed by on dry ground. The whole nation came walking across. See, here's what's amazing, right? We go back to the Ark of the Covenant back then, and then Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil torn in two. And, and here's what First Peter says. It says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He, here's what the Bible says. When Christ died for you and Christ invites you into that relationship with God, that Christ comes in you and you become a priest in this day and this time. And a priest is simply this. It's a bridge builder between God and man. It's somebody who is there standing in the gap for others. And it's pointing people to God. And I just think about these priests who stood there back then and watched as their kids came by, as their grandchildren came by, as their friends, as their neighbors, 
their coworkers, and they pass by on dry ground. Your faithfulness, your faithfulness is impacting others. It's impacting your family, but it's impacting people you don't even know. And God's calling you. And God's calling me. So what are you going to do? How are you going to live? Where's your priorities? Where are you going to invest? Our worship team is going to come, and then I'm going to invite us just into a time of response. I'm going to pray over us, and then I'm going to invite you to stand. And, and while you're standing, you, you can feel free to use this as an altar, but there's also going to be some of our A6 men. They're kind of spiritual leaders at our church, and they're going to be on the sides. And if you want somebody to talk with you or somebody to pray with you, that's what they're there for. And maybe today you want to just say, hey, would, would you pray? Would you pray for me? I've got some decisions coming up. Or would you pray for my marriage? Would you pray for me to consecrate myself? Maybe there's a time of repentance. And just saying, listen, there's some unconfessed sin, and I've been holding it in, and it's eating me alive. And today I just want to confess. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Maybe God's calling me to take a next step. This is your time with the Lord. So, Father, here we are, your people today, God, gathered in your name. And, Lord, we know that you are here. God, we sense your presence with us. And, Father, I pray that you would challenge us right now in our soul and our spirit. God, don't let us sit back and watch. God, let us be bold enough to engage. Don't let us be people of fear. Oh, God, let us be people of faith. And so this morning, Father, we want to pray. We want to worship. We want to set our focus on you. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds and give us the courage to respond. God, we come with open hands to you. We surrender our lives to you because we know you want to do immeasurably more. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we respond to you right now. Amen. You're invited to stand right now.